When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 51, Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And we left off yesterday talking about um, justice and mercy, about not... uh, you know, how you treat other people. That That's kind of where we are. And we left off on a very interesting note. And I just want to go back and look at it real quick. That's just, um, that is, that's a law of God. <laughs> you wouldn't think that that would be one of the commandments that protects God, but, or, you know, um, all of these are case law to protect the Ten Commandments. And so you think, well, what Ten Commandments is this? Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Well, don't do wrong. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against someone else. All of those things that we're not supposed to do, sometimes the crowd does that. And when the crowd's doing that, you need to stop. You need to pause and say, is this the truth? Or is the crowd just going wild? And if the crowd's just going wild, according to this commandment, you're not supposed to go wild with the crowd. And I see this so much on social media because there is an incredible ability by posting something that's partially truth or a lie or maybe a spin of the truth and it riles up everybody and everybody follows it and all and then Two months, six months, a year later, find out that that whole entire thing was based upon a lie. And we say to ourselves, well, I'm protected because everybody else was doing this. I was just trying to follow the crowd. I was just trying to do what was right. My friends, no, according to God, don't follow the crowd. Stop, pause at everything and see if this is a crowd think thing or if this is actually the truth. And if it's actually the truth and the crowd is justified, then by all means, join in with the crowd. But if it's, if it's not the truth and the crowd isn't justified, God calls you as a follower of him in his kingdom to stop and pause and go against the currents of the crowd. Now, that is hard. It is extremely hard, but that's what God calls us to do. And... That also requires us to have some semblance of knowledge of right and wrong and justice and all those sort of things. And I, I could give you some examples on both sides of the political aisle from over the last two or three years, but I don't want to do that because that would get highly political. <laughs> but as you sit there and think about him, you can probably think of some things that happened in the political realm where people followed the crowd, but the crowd was wrong. That, that, there's, there's been example after example after example of that. What does that require of us? It requires of us to have multiple news sources. It requires us to not live in our own particular bubble. It requires us to think about things before we react. Remember, in James, it says that the tongue is a very, very powerful thing, and it's like wildfire. So while everybody else is reposting all these different things on on social media, I would say, for me, maybe maybe it is worthwhile just pausing and waiting 24 hours and seeing if this is the truth or not, or if there's alternate 
truths that come out from the same event. I'm I'm always impressed by Abraham Lincoln. There's a story that when he was running the Civil War, he would write a letter to one of his generals being very angry. And then he'd put it in his drawer and he'd wait 24 hours and he'd open it up and he'd read it. Oftentimes he would tear it up and then try again. Because when you are angry or bitter, sometimes your brain isn't operating as good as it should. And so just spending that 24 hours oftentimes is not a bad idea. Although there are times when you can't wait 24 hours. The house is on fire. You can't say, well, I'll wait 24 hours to see if the fire burns it halfway down or if it goes out by itself. No, there are times in life, this is my failing. There are times in life when you can't wait around, where you actually have to proceed forward with the best information that you have and make a decision. Because I am so, I think deeply about things, sometimes I want to think deeply more than I should. But but 24 hours typically is not a bad time to just stop and pause and say, is this a crowd think thing or is it, um, or is this the truth that I really need to react to? Um, well, so I just wanted to say that because, because we don't often think that following the crowd has any danger in it. And my friends, it does. It has huge danger because you can go down the wrong path, bear false witness, bear false testimony. All of these things can happen with groupthink. God calls us not to do that. All right, and uh, so let's just keep reading in that same verse. Verse two, when you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And again, just because the crowd says it's all the truth, it doesn't mean that it is the truth. I love uh, Atticus Fink, uh, Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. Is that is that a crowd or is it 12 Angry Men? There's There have been a lot of plays that have come out. I guess 12 Angry Men is probably the better one where there's a man who's convicted of a crime and they all get in and they all say he's absolutely guilty. <coughs> Excuse me. He's absolutely guilty. He's absolutely guilty. And there's one guy following this and says, I'm not sure that he is guilty. I just need to think about this a little bit. And uh, of course, he's the he's the thinker in the whole group. At the end of the at the end of the play, he's the one that actually uh, convinces the whole rest of the group. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. He convinces the rest of the whole group that that uh, that this is crowd think that they should stop and pause and then they don't convict. That is, um, that is hard to do. To stand up against the crowd um, is very difficult. So also don't do it when you're, when you're in a court of law. Don't pervert justice by just siding with the crowd. Always stop and think and say, what is the truth? That is, we've been called to do that. Um, now, the next one, we read it briefly, uh, but I, I just want to go back and look again. This is verse 3. And do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. Now you think to yourself and say, wait a minute. We have to show favoritism to the poor because they can't be represented by themselves. And so we have to show favoritism to them. Now, it is true in our United States law system that we will try to appoint a judge. I'm sorry, a lawyer to you when you go into the court of law. One of the deep 
disappointments that I found in that whole process is that there are not enough lawyers to really dig into these cases and represent people as well as they should. Oftentimes, if you have a court-appointed attorney, I have seen many times where it's almost a foregone conclusion because the court system is so backed up and because there are so many cases and because you can't necessarily spend a lot of time in each case, oftentimes these the system gets bogged down and if they have a court-appointed attorney, he might have 50 cases on the docket for that day. He does not have time nor energy nor will to really dig deep into these cases. And so oftentimes, if you are poor, you don't, you get a court-appointed lawyer, but the court-appointed lawyers, I'm not, I'm not bashing court-appointed lawyers at, by any means. All I'm saying is that we're all human. And when you've seen the same crime over and over and over and over and over again, typically you will see it again and it'll just put it on the shelf and say, that's the same crime that I've seen a hundred times. I know exactly what the outcome is. But my, my, my call to you, my, what I beg you to do if you are a court-appointed attorney, none of you are, uh, maybe you are, I don't know, um, that, that, you, that you at least spend a little bit of time from this to uh, to consider the case and the merits of the case, just a little bit of time, five minutes, 10 minutes, really think about it. Is this really the standard case that you've seen a million times or is, it so- is there something unique or special about it? Is there something about the way the family acts or the way that the, uh, you know, whatever the people that are there, you just have to, there are times because I have seen um, that it is, that it is so easy just to go along to get along when sometimes it requires a little bit deeper introspection on the case of a court-appointed attorney. But don't show favoritism to the poor in a lawsuit. Now this, you would think, we do this in the United States. It seems like we have built laws to show favoritism to the poor um, because we know that they're under, underrepresented. And so we, we do show favoritism in many aspects to people who are marginalized. And I think what we, I think what the, the spirit of this law is, is that justice should be blind. And we know this, our, uh, our symbol for justice being blind is the lady with the scale and the blindfold. And basically it's just listening to the facts and trying to see trying to debate the merits of the case simply on the facts. And if you if you do that, then I think you're following the letter of this law. What we found out over the last 50 years in the United States is that even with all that, there have been some people who are marginalized in our in our world and in our communities and that on a grand statistical basis, it appears that they are not getting their fair share, which says then that, according to some people, that we should twist the levers of law to show favoritism in their area. And that, according to this, Exodus 23.3, is not correct. And you say, but we have to because they're not, their outcomes aren't coming out as well. And to which I would say, I understand that, and that is unfortunate, and we should try to 
be better at making those outcomes. But when it comes to justice in a lawsuit, justice has to be blind. It has to be blind. You can't show favoritism towards somebody and you can't show favoritism against somebody. That because it's too easy to go down the path one way or the other once you start showing favoritism in a lawsuit. So I know that this doesn't seem right, but it is right. It is right. God wants us to follow the truth wherever the truth leads us. We have to be passionately following the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so uh, Jesus is the truth. Whenever we follow the truth, no matter where that truth leads, it always is better for the kingdom of God and it's always better for the world around us. The truth always is the best course of action. So we have to pursue it relentlessly. We have to find the truth. And whatever that truth shows, we have to follow the law and the truth and not show favoritism either on one side or the other side. That's just that that is the best way for any society to move forward. All right. Verse four, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. Uh, If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. So this is basically good Samaritan stuff, right? Um, do you, do you ever come across a donkey or an ox of your neighbor? Probably not. But could we translate this today? Absolutely. Anything, I guess probably the biggest one today, right, would be uh, coming across a wallet and, um, and making sure that that wallet gets returned to somebody. That would be a good way to, to follow this law. Um, I... I would say that is a good thing to do. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey uh, or wallet or car or anything, make sure you return it to him. This is all good Samaritan. Uh, Verse six, do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Okay, so this is just the polar opposite of verse three. One is don't show favoritism to the poor, but we come down to verse six and it's do not deny justice to the poor uh, in the lawsuits. So basically what... Exodus says with those two verses is always try to pursue the truth wherever the truth leads you. Verse seven, have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death for I will not acquit the guilty. Wow. Wow. So um, how do you not put an innocent person to death? Well, one way you could do that would be to not have a death penalty. In other words, if if you don't have a death penalty, then you're never putting an innocent person to death. We do in the United States still have death penalties in some states. So therefore, it is likely that we put innocent people to death. Now, there is a massive, massive amount of checks and balances that are required before you put an innocent person to death. But I am disheartened over the last 10 years because of DNA evidence and the ability to collect DNA samples and go back even 10 or 20 years later and run the tests on those DNA and find out who that person is, that we actually have been able to bring people to just that 
people who are in prison uh, be able to get them released in prison because they were put in prison under false pretenses. And those stories, I don't know if you've seen them, but there are a lot of them. I would say a lot. I've probably seen a dozen or two dozen or so that I've seen over the last maybe 10 years of family members that are absolutely convinced that their loved one in prison is innocent. And so they finally are able to get a court order. The court order goes and gets the DNA evidence from the evidence room. They run the DNA samples. They find out actually that the person in prison is not guilty and that there was somebody else and they can even probably figure out who that person is. And so I do wonder how many people have we potentially put to death that maybe were innocent. And that is always a risk of society. And God does not want us to put an innocent person to death or an honest person to death. So that an honest person, uh, that's interesting. An honest person, how do you know a person's honest? Well, you have a whole slew of witnesses that come up and say, this person is honest, this person is honest. Um, of course, those people, if they're not if they're not bound by laws of justice and mercy and equity, then they might be twisting the truth. You might have 50 people that says, yes, this is an honest person, but all 50 of those people are just lying through their teeth. That is why a lot of these commandments that we're talking about are more, they have to do with a just society and a just population. When we talk about pulling moral things out of the school system, like when somebody says we need to rip down the Ten Commandments because that's favoring one particular religion, it breaks my heart because in a sense it's always it is almost saying to uh, society that there are that there is no justice. Like if you can get away with it, it's okay. And I don't think that's true. If we're going to pull down the Ten Commandments, then at least let's put something up that is equally as binding and universal to our, to our society that we can teach our children, that we can point to and say, you shouldn't do that because we've all agreed that that is wrong. And included in that would be bearing false witness against your neighbor, uh, not, not lying, not cheating, not stealing, all those things need to be deeply embedded and ingrained in society for it to work. Otherwise, we are going to end up putting innocent and honest people to death. That's just the way it is. And if you can't have a society that is bound by that, then, then you're going to have to spend a lot of money protecting people on death row or maybe protecting people who you think are 99.9% .9 guilty, but we can't put them to death, and so we're going to feed them and clothe them and shelter them for the rest of their life. Um, and that's going to be a cost to society. And it, it, because they can live for a very long time and because you keep adding to the people, that this, this can overcrowd and overwhelm a system of justice, which I think is doing, I think it's overwhelming and overcrowding our system of justice today I, because I see a lot of mistakes being made. And I'm not blaming the people that are in those positions. I just see that we're all human and we all fail and none of us are going to get it right. And when the systems get overwhelmed, then a lot, a lot of mistakes are made. And then we can't, as a society, follow this. 
And when you can't, as a society, follow this, then people lose trust in the court system. And when people lose trust in the court system, then then people will, um, you know, start to test the limits of how far the court system will go, and they'll do things that are completely wrong, and will, you know, you'll start to see pockets of anarchy fall fall into place. And I think we've seen a little bit of that over the last 10 to 20 years. Um, it just happens. All right, verse 8. Uh, do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twist the words of the innocent. And do not oppress the foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. So I think we saw that before. Um, treat foreigners well. Don't accept a bribe. Man. Don't accept a bribe. What is a bribe? A bribe is basically where somebody's paying you money to distort the truth. I think that's what a bribe is. And so don't accept money to distort the truth. You're called to be honest. You're called to say things exactly as they are. When you get on the witness stand and you raise your hand and they say, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Take that very seriously and tell the truth. And don't accept a bribe. Even if, even if the bribe is to tell the truth, don't accept a bribe <laughs> because it'll be the appearance of it will be that you were bribed to tell the truth and justice gets perverted. So don't ever accept a bribe. Now, now this is interesting uh, because in my previous life, I was involved in expert witness testimony. I've even had to give expert witness testimony. In cases, I was, uh, I was a traffic engineer and oftentimes in a traffic accident, they're looking to see if there was some condition of the road that could have been somewhat at fault at making the accident happen. Uh, oftentimes, it's not a condition of the road, but um, I'd say the vast majority of them were probably traffic signal timing type issues where perhaps the question would be, could it have been green light in both directions? Was there, an, was there enough... Um, clearance time for the pedestrian to get across the road. Uh, those kind of issues come up all the time. And so uh, an expert witness is one that looks at the conditions on the ground and gives his or her opinion. Um, but what the court system does is they do not allow you, in other words, you have a set rate for that. And the set rate is very high, <laughs> I will tell you that. But the set rate is a, uh, you, can't, you can't bilk, I guess, the, the person to, I mean, it, it's a very complicated system, let me put it that way, because sometimes it does require more investigation than just a cursory investigation, that costs more money. Um, but it could give the appearance of a bribe. And that's, uh, I remember... I'll end with this. Uh, I, uh, we had done a traffic study on a condominium development up in Flagstaff. And the, the results of the traffic study about whether or not there would be uh, an overwhelming of the traffic of the arterials in the collector streets near this development, uh, that presentation had to be made to the town council up in Flagstaff. And I can even tell you the date that it was made because it was two days before my daughter was born. Uh, it would have been uh, July, uh, there was a day before my daughter was born, July 14th, uh, July 20, uh, July 26th, July 25th, 
1989, I had to go up to the town of Flagstaff and um, make a presentation. And there were people in the audience that called me names and said I was just a stooge or I was accepting bribes. I wasn't telling the truth because I was paid for by the developer. And um, I can see why they would make those kind of accusations. I did tell them that uh, my decision was based upon an honest appraisal of the facts. And I showed them the facts and I encouraged them that if they didn't like my appraisal, that they could go find another traffic engineer and they would probably come up with the same conclusion because we're all going off the same facts. But when people are angry or bitter or upset, they don't always go by the facts and they don't, they don't trust anybody that is um, trying to present facts. And I've, I've learned that early, early on in my career. Um, I don't know why that particular case came to mind. I think it's because I just know I remember that one because I, uh, Jennifer was supposed to go be induced on the day before and we had to postpone it the day. <laughs> she's never forgiven me. Actually, she's forgiven me. Um, but anyway, um, that's the bottom line of all this is just to tell the truth, to be as honest as possible. Don't let crowds violate the truth and don't let money violate the truth. We as followers of Jesus Christ, as his hands and feet in this world, must be relentless in pursuing the truth. That's kind of what I see in Exodus 23. All right, so let's uh, let's just close in prayer. Gracious God, give us the strength to pursue the truth and give us your spirit to give us wisdom to know what the truth is. Uh, thank you for this time together and be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.